0: this is feminist barroom brawls on cfrc normally we would do this in person and it would be live at the grad club but because we are living in a global pandemic we are featuring the rocker horror picture show also known as for this event the rocky horror picture critique uh featuring professor dan and professor tama Feel free to tweet us at CFRC or send CFRC a lovely message on Facebook. This is the radio Halloween version featuring the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I'm here with Professor Dan and Professor Tama. Tama, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Sure. Hi, everybody. My name is Tamara De Seguleng. I'm an adjunct assistant professor in the department of film and media at Queens University and a queer history uh, fan uh, and scholar.
0: Dan.
2: Hi, folks. My name is Dan Venna. I'm also an adjunct professor in the film and media department. I am very interested in low-grade horror pop culture objects, uh, and I definitely have a feminist, trans, queer study background.
0: My name is Steffi McKnight, and I am the host and referee for this evening. And those of you who may have seen us in person before may know the rules, but I'm going to go through them with you again. So the rules for this evening are uh, Dan and Tama are going to watch, listen to the Rocky <laughs> Horse Picture Show together with you. And uh, in between clips, they're gonna battle it out to argue whether or not it's feminist or queer. Uh, They'll both take different sides. And uh, before we get started, I'm gonna flip a coin to see who's gonna start the debate tonight. Tama, would you like to be heads or tails?
1: Tails, please.
0: Okay. And it's tails. So Tama, you get to take us away today. So I hope everyone has fun and uh, I look forward to hearing the debate.
1: So tonight uh, Dan and I will be playing opposite sides, Um, not really opposite. I'll be playing the role of the feminist killjoy in tonight's debate. Um, So the feminist killjoy is of course uh, your favorite person to have Thanksgiving dinner with who will always draw attention to the problematic things that people are saying. People accuse the feminist killjoy of not having a sense of humor, but we do indeed. So um, this is a term that I often do take, take up with pride, but that said, not everything I say tonight will be representative of my own perspectives on the film. Dan and I are both probably somewhere in the middle of each of our characters, but we're trying to give you a sense of two, two sides of the debate. And though we stage this as a debate, uh, we just wanna be clear that no one's playing devil's advocate. No one's gonna be debating anyone's basic rights to exist or to be who they are. We're playing two opposing characters who are both feminist, queer, and trans positive. So Dan, who are you gonna be playing tonight?
2: Well, Tama, I am playing old trans boomer. Uh, I am trans or transgender. uh, And I also love bad trans objects. And so I'm going to take a cue from my students who have taught me about the OK Boomer meme or Boomer OK meme. Don't know which one it is. Um, But I hear, I think I'm a generation apart from younger trans folks who come to Rocky Horror with a, a, a great degree of criticality, which is, absolutely fair. But for my character tonight, I'll be playing back in my day, this was good media character. Uh, And I'm really interested in in kind of reclaiming this object or at least historicizing it and contextualizing it and, and noting where it was offering some really cool queer representation while at the same time noting where that representation fails today. Uh, So I think I'm going to really hang on that this this can be a bad object we can we can save from the archive. All right Feminist Killjoy, Old Trans Boomer is coming for you. This is a good bad object.
1: Well. I don't know if you're going to convince me of that, Dan. There's a lot to break down in this one. So I don't... let's get going. Michael Randy was ill the day the earth stood still, but he told
3: us where we stand. And Flash Gordon was there and so ground aware. Thought Rains was the invisible man. Then something went wrong. For Faye and King Kong, they got caught in a cellular jam. Then at a deadly pace, it came from outer space. And this is how the message ran. a trip that that spits poison mm. and kills.
2: many references to 50s science fiction there are in that song
1: i don't dan you're well, the film expert
2: <laughs> that's right Tama. i am uh, but depending <laughs> on who you ask and how you count there's a prob there's approximately 12 references to movies and actors in science fiction double feature and all of them are about kind of this golden age of science fiction which was really happening in 1950s american hollywood cinema and some independence at the time and you hear a lot of mention in this song about creatures and monsters and aliens and of course this is an alien invasion movie to some degree uh if you haven't seen rocky horror before or heard the album uh spoiler alert but I wanted to bring that up because this kind of sets up the premise of, why we can maybe reclaim this as a good, bad object, because this is a movie about monsters kind of attacking normativity. Like, I don't want to get too, too scholarly here, but Robin Wood, when he talks about the horror film, he talks about the horror film as being about monsters against normality. And I think this is a film that is primed and set up to have us question, what is normality?
1: Well, I think we're going to have to come back to this one in a little bit, Dan, because I think there's a real question to be asked here about how uh, good of an idea it is to equate queer people, trans people, and other people who are already othered and already made out to be the aliens um, as the scary monsters in a film like this.
2: Uh, I just want to note that the monsters in this film are having the best time ever, <laughs> and I would rather do the time warp with these monsters than be Brad and Janet.
1: Well, I'm not going to disagree with you there, but the movie still makes them out to be the monsters, the evil, evil monsters.
2: And we do know that trans people, queer people, have definitely a history in American Hollywood films as being monstrous, so I, I could see where you're coming from, Tama, but... I'm gonna stick to my guns here and make an argument that the trans as monster trope can be maybe useful and admittedly pleasurable.
1: Pleasurable, sure. Useful, not sure. Let's keep going.
4: (laughs) Oh Brad, wasn't it wonderful? Didn't Betty look radiantly beautiful? Oh, I can't believe it. An hour ago, she was plain old Betty Monroe. And now, now she's Mrs. Ralph Hapshad.
5: Yes, Janet, Ralph's a lucky guy.
3: Yes. Oh, I always cry at weddings.
5: Uh, everyone knows that Betty's a wonderful little cook. Yes. Why, Ralph himself, he'll be in line for a promotion in a year or two. Yes. Hey, Janet. Yes, Brad? I've got something to say. Uh-huh. I really love the skillful way you beat the other girls
6: to the bride's bouquet. Oh, oh The river was deep, but I swam it. Janet. The future is ours, so let's plan it. Janet. So please don't tell me to can it. Janet. I've one thing to say, and that's damn it, Janet. I love you. The road was long, but I ran it. Janet. There's a fire in my heart, and you fan it. Janet. If there's one fool for you, then I am it.
7: Janet.
6: I've one thing to say, and that's, damn it, Janet, I love you. Here's the ring to prove that I'm no joker.
1: Okay Dan, I have to give you a point on this one. The critique of normativity in this scene is pretty beautiful. Uh, Never mind marriage, like one of the most um, normative institutions or heteronormative institutions in any case. Um, But also this funny juxtaposition of marriage and death uh, if you remember in the in this scene, um, Brad and Janet are walking through a graveyard. there are crows, then they go into the church where they're setting up for a funeral. Um, I kind of love this part.
2: And of course, it is like utterly camp. And so their kind of desire to be married in this idyllic union is constantly being undermined, like you're saying, the funeral setting. Um, But the camp really kind of exaggerates the the idyllic notion of marriage. There's If you remember in the scene, uh, a background advertisement behind Brad and Janet that said, Denton, home of happiness. Uh, They're talking about these very heterogender roles that their friends kind of replicate who have just gotten married. And the thing that I kind of want to draw to your attention, Tama, and to to our listeners tonight... uh, This is a world of threes, so we're not necessarily constricted to the binary and it's set up almost immediately here in the scene. Of course, they say love could go three ways, not just two ways, not good or bad. Love could be good, bad or mediocre. And then, of (laughs) course, this is going to be a world of threes. It's going to be about Frankenfurter, Brad and Janet soon. The end of the film is three kind of left standing after this event has happened. So this is a film that is kind of priming us to think beyond the world of twos and to maybe expand that kind of binary a little.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think that the threes are really pushing what they are setting up in Brad and Janet as being so incredibly binary. Janet is this uh, woman who is quite weak. She faints a number of times in the movie. She's so excited about the diamond ring she got and how big it is or how nice it is. And in Brad too, we have this really the nice guy who's very consistent and wants to take care of her. but throughout the film, his masculinity is also undermined or quest- called into question. And of so course, it's a good start, certainly.
2: <laughs> I, I would say so, and I think like Susan Sarandon is especially acting it to pieces here. Her kind of cadences and her little ah. Ah, Like little squeaks that she makes throughout (laughs) the song is just kind of a perfect undermining of this performance of femininity that women, I think, are conditioned to uh, under this big cis heteronormative banner and institution. I would like, uh,
8: if I may, to take you on a strange journey. It seemed a fairly ordinary night when Brad Majors and his fiancée, Janet Weiss, two young, ordinary, healthy kids, left Denton that late November evening to visit a Dr. Everett Scott, ex-tutor and now friend to both of them. It's true there were dark storm clouds Heavy, black, and pendulous, toward which they were driving. It's true also that the spare tire they were carrying was badly in need of some air. But uh, they, being normal kids, and uh, on a night out, well, they were not going to let a storm spoil the events of their evening. On a night out, It was a night out they were going to remember for a very long time.
1: So this is where I think we run into one of the major problems in this film. So just in introducing us to this story, we have our narrator, um, Come, come into the scene, and the narrator, as we've learned in the opening credits, is a criminologist, uh, and then in, in in quotes, an expert. And just by starting through the lens of a criminologist who's reviewing his police files, we are setting the stage for a story that uh, links queerness, transness, and cross dressing, and we'll we'll get into that a bit later, but with criminality which is a really harmful trope um, that we see again and again and again and I think that's really significant at this moment in time the film is coming out in 1975 at this point in the US many many states um, still have anti-sodomy laws so homosexuality is illegal in many states and at this moment it's just starting to shift so Um, The first state to get rid of these laws uh, is in 1961, Illinois, and then we see uh, 20 more states. We see it happening slowly throughout the 70s. So this is right in the middle of this, when activists are really trying to make this claim that their sexuality, that their sexual... um, acts are not criminal they're just sexual acts like anybody else's and I think that's really important to think because I think we can have a critique of this film um, that is based in the time it came out and a critique of this film that's based in today is this a film that's good for us now it and was it a a film that was good for us at the time similarly many states have um anti-cross-dressing laws at the time where Uh, either cross-dressers or trans people or anyone deemed to be wearing the clothes of the supposed opposite sex could be arrested or harassed by police. And this um, is something that is very much affecting the lives of queer and trans people at the time.
2: Okay, Tama, well, yes, absolutely. (laughs) That history uh, is real and continues to have lasting effects. And certainly there is generational trauma that is also part of that for trans and queer communities. Um, But I would like to say that this film isn't to blame for the trope of the criminal queer deviant. This film is kind of poking fun at that trope. I mean, look at our criminologist, Tama. He's a bad Alfred Hitchcock Sherlock Holmes knockoff. He's not an expert. (laughs) He's an expert in scare quotes. And if we all remember Susan Sontag's definition of camp, and camp is, of course, you know, something that is so exaggerated it calls attention to the artifice of something, Susan Sontag reminds us camp Everything is in those scare quotes. A lamp is not a lamp, but a lamp. So I think here we have a criminologist who's not a criminologist. It's a criminologist. And I think the film is trying to draw attention to the ways in which queers and trans folks and or others in general, deviants, quote unquote, in general, have been portrayed, especially in science fiction and horror movies. So I think this film is is doing the critique you're laying out. I mean, I don't
1: disagree, but this is a, you know, it's Susan Sarandon. It's quite mainstream. So do we have to take into consideration the audience and how the audience is reading this film? And do we have to take into consideration too an audience today that is maybe not reading this film in the context of the 70s?
2: That's... Fair enough. And of course, you know, it's hard for us to sit here and we could speculate how an audience may have responded to that text at the time. And who knows, some of our listeners may have been on the ground floor level there um, when it came out and and have stories they, they could share. But for us right now, obviously, we're in a different cultural and political moment obviously the words queer and trans certainly have come to mean very different things as they once did, for sure. But I think this idea of um, making maybe quote-unquote better representation or having better representation, especially for trans folks, it's not necessarily the antidote to transphobia. There's a lot of evidence out there that Greater visibility does not translate into a, quote unquote, more tolerant, accepting society. And so if we're going to be marginalized, I say we start to lean into it and we lean into the power of being a monster.
1: Okay, but if we're going to have representation, should that representation be uh, the kind that is still linking these things when policing of trans communities and queer communities and especially trans women of color is still such a major issue in the world today? Should that be the kind of representation we have then if we're um, not saying that representation will save us, should we at least try to make it not harm us as much?
2: Well, fair. And is this the representation that we should watch every Halloween as our midnight movie? Mm. I'm not sure. I not think sure, we're going to agree to disagree or at least agree that we don't have the answer here.
1: Mm-hmm. I think so.
0: I'm not really sure how to break you two up. Your banter seems so civilized. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Okay, Tama, this is... A song and a part of the movie I utterly adore because this is giving us our gothic setup that will kind of run throughout the entire movie. For folks who are not necessarily super well versed in the Gothic, starts off as kind of a, a style of writing and literature, and then eventually translates into horror cinema and especially American horror cinema in the 30s. But one of the ideas most closely connected to the Gothic is this idea of the uncanny. And the uncanny, to just put it in really simple and quick terms, is that which is repressed returning again. And how amazing is it to start your kind of entrance into the castle with this idea of the repressed, all the deviants, the queer, the trans individuals, who are essentially made monstrous by this society, they're gonna rise up and they're the ones taking ownership of the castle. Like this is, this is a playground of deviance. And I, I, how do you not love that?
1: I mean, I guess the Gothic does have a history with queerness, right? Like that lesbian writer of that novel,
2: who's gay, th- right? <laughs> are you thinking about the Haunting of Hill House, Tamma?
4: Uh, yeah, that one. That's yeah. the one. <laughs> um, I, right? Uh, <laughs> Gay? <laughs>
2: yes, Tama. I think that's Shirley Jackson. And I'm pretty sure queer, at the very least. I don't know if we want to say outright lesbian, but... Pretty sure that's one for our team. And, of course, for anybody keeping up with contemporary culture, The Haunting of Bly Manor does an impeccable job of, again, weaving queerness into the ghost story and to the gothic. So, if anything, the gothic and horror ought to be our play space. Like, this ought to be the place where you find us. Yeah, all right.
1: I'll Great. give you
2: that. I'm glad that you, you're you on Damn my side.
0: I don't feel very gothic. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Halloween is coming. <laughs> Tama, did you ever have an emo phase? I
1: did not, no.
2: I think the
0: question is how many queers have had an emo phase. I've definitely had an emo phase. All the people I know who are queer now had an emo phase.
2: I did not have an emo phase. Oh. Uh In fairness, I had a Johnny Cash, and I continue to have a Johnny Cash phase, and he's pretty emo, I'm going to say. He wore black all the time. He was my hero.
1: <laughs> but you don't, though, Dan. You don't look like Johnny Cash
2: I don't think Pink Paisley, I don't think Pink Paisley Shirts Tam are antithetical to the Gothic <laughs> As we're going <laughs> to see here It's very colorful this party
7: mm,
1: That's true Alright let's go to That song
5: It's astounding
9: I start on sensation. Like
5: out of Madison? Mm.
3: Mm.
9: Mm. Brad, please, let's get out of here.
5: For God's sake, keep a grip on yourself, Janet.
9: But it's, it, it seems so unhealthy
4: here.
5: It's just a party, Janet.
4: Well, I want to go.
5: Well, we can't go anywhere till I get to a phone.
4: Well, then ask a the butler or someone.
5: Just a moment, Janet. We don't want to interfere with their celebrations.
4: This isn't the Junior Chamber of Commerce, Brad.
5: They're probably foreigners with ways different than our own. They may do some more folk dancing.
3: Look, I'm cold, I'm wet, and I'm just plain scared. I'm
5: here There's nothing to worry about.
1: <laughs> CFRC is proud to announce the first ever Shortwave Theatre Festival, a radio theatre collaboration with local site-specific theatre company Cellar Door Project. Shortwave Theatre Festival features five original radio plays written, directed, mixed, and starring artists with Kingston Connections. Shortwave Theatre Festival is free and is coming to you on the airwaves this November on CFRC 101.9 FM. Stay tuned in the next few weeks as we feature the shows and the good folks involved in making it happen. In the meantime... Check out our website at shortwavetheater.com and mark your calendars for Shortwave Theatre Festival, November 1st to 7th, available only on CFRC 101.9 FM. hi i'm tom savage we love our spotify we love our apple music it's a wonderful thing to have all the music in the world at your fingertips but the big downside is that these streaming services pay fractions of a penny per streamed artist and that doesn't buy a lot of groceries so if you're really digging in an album reach out to that musician or band make a donation buy some physical merchandise help them keep creating great music for you We can't rely on giant corporations to do the right thing. We as music fans need to put our own value on music. Let's keep that creative engine going. So Dan, here we finally get to see who's inside the castle. And we see this group of people at a party. And these people are depicted as weird, as strange, as scary, as quote unquote, foreigners. And there are so many different marginalized people here. We see people who are racialized. We see people with physical disabilities. We see people who we could read as queer. Um, We see people of different body sizes, right? And, And they're seen as these scary, evil people. What do you say to that?
2: Yeah. These are the weirdos, mister. That's what I have to say to that.
1: (laughs) This is exactly what I told
2: you was going to happen in the Gothic. This is the repressed returning. And of course, who is it that is repressed in society and culture? Well, it's individuals who are racialized, who have fat bodies, different bodies, different ages. Like we see... We see a great deal of diversity in the time warpers there. And of course, the joke isn't on them, Tama. The joke's on Brad and Janet. Brad is wearing his high school jacket. So if you actually watch the clip and you take a look at the badge on his jacket, it's from his high school, 1963. Like he's a dork and he's a little bit of a loser. <laughs> and of course, the first thing he thinks to say is, does anybody know how to Madison? Like, after watching that dance, the pelvic thrust, and seeing how many sequins are involved, that's what you have to say to that, Brad? And I think when we laugh at that line, we're not laughing at the others, quote-unquote. We're laughing at Brad and Janet for being so vanilla and not getting hip
1: to the party. I guess so, but we're still seeing these people as monsters, to be feared. Are they to be
2: feared, or does everybody who likes this film or kind of know it in some way know how to do the time warp because it's pretty darn infectious
1: i mean i guess so it is the most popular song and it certainly has found its place in a lot of marginalized communities so i'm gonna say this
2: is a party i want to be at and i definitely don't want to be brad and janet at this party for sure
1: yeah all right that's true i guess
2: And of course, Tama, when we're talking about the time work, like you're saying, uh, a dance that has held its own in popular culture, it's important that not only do we see a community on screen, there was a community created in the theater. This is a time in which, yes, there were spaces you could express queerness, express um, non-binary gender expressions, or at least, uh, let's say non-cis heteronormative gender expressions but those were few and far between and all of a sudden this is a theater cinema event that you could attend you could dress up you could come do the time warp and you could be with others who are appreciating this so this is community on screen and it's building community off screen
1: yeah i mean i do think that those live screenings um are where people dress up, where there are certain um, things that everybody participates in, where there are sing-alongs. They've definitely been very important to a lot of trans and gender non-conforming people. They've been really important to a lot of people who are othered in society, but I, I got to say, I've also read some critiques of them where a lot of the problematic things that happen in the film also tend to play out in those fan communities. So we've got a little bit of um, both sides of the coin with that one. Tama has this one. What?
0: (laughs) Great job, Tama.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Steffi. Now, can we go and meet Frankenfurter?
10: How'd you do I?
6: Well, you got caught with a flat, world. how about that? Well, babies, don't you panic. By the light of the night, it'll all seem all right. I'll get you a satanic mechanic. I'm just a sweet transvestite. From transsexual, Transylvania. The sweet sweet transvestida from transsexual
10: Transylvania. So come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. I see you shiver with anticipation. But maybe the rain is really to blame. So I'll remove the cause. <laughs> but not the symptom.
1: So I have to admit that just earlier today I was talking to my sister about how um she was reading an article about how maybe Tim Curry as Frankenfurter was actually really a definitive character in the sexuality of a lot of millennials, and I have to give, I have to give this film that one. I think this really impacted a lot of people's sexuality and um, sexual desires. But sorry,
2: may I, may I just interject there, Tama, just for whoa, a,
1: a whoa, 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 <laughs> let Tama
0: finish her thought.
2: All right, Tam. Unless the ra-
0: you would you like to pass it on to Dan for a
1: second? <laughs> Only if he's going to talk about how attractive Frank is.
2: I'm going to talk about how attractive Tim Curry is. Just to un- reiterate that I think Tim Curry is the definitive actor who plays this part. I think. Uh, And as we'll maybe allude to in a moment, I think there is no other Frankenfurter but Tim Curry. But for folks who uh, really like this movie, really like Tim Curry, I do want to give a little bit of a quote unquote shout out to the queer camp classic Clue. So if you're maybe not feeling Rocky Horror this Halloween season... Uh, slap on Clue, I think it's actually on Prime right now, um, and that is another beautiful queer classic, and it's an undermined gem that I will defend. So maybe CFRC Tamma will have us back, and maybe we could duke it out of her clue.
1: <laughs> maybe. Um, okay, so I, I gave that caveat, but really, we do have to talk about the second very problematic part of this film and that is the character of frankenfurter and, and this song because through this song we see the conflation of transvestite and transsexual these two words that have a very long history that have uh, a lot of um a lot of baggage a lot of harm that's been done through these words and we see them conflated and they're very different things. Not many people identify as transvestites anymore. It's generally seen as quite an offensive term, especially because of its historic relationship to psychiatry. Um, And, and aside from that, it's talking about a very particular thing and that's um, people who enjoy, who are cisgender who enjoy dressing up in clothes associated with the so-called opposite sex. Um, And transsexual, of course, is a very different thing. That's about the gender that you are and live as. And so the conflation is really problematic here. And it's also a conflation that has been used against so many trans uh, people, especially trans women. both in the past and today, right? That um, these harmful ideas that they are just dressing as something that they aren't truly, this is very, very problematic second we have um the conflation of this gender non-normativity with this hypersexualization this very seductive nature this okay, these people on. who are
2: deviant hold in on. their sexuality hold on before we
1: get to that point
0: <laughs> all you do is cut her off i just want to hear what Tama has to say <laughs>
1: We need a mute button on Dan
0: Yeah, I don't know how to do that
1: I am absolutely
2: offended that you would reference a presidential debate candidate in my company first and foremost
1: (laughs) I withdraw, that was a bit cruel (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But
2: please, dear referee Steffi, I would like to respond to Tama's first point before she continues with the point of hypersexualization
1: is that okay
2: Tama? Very well. I right, accept. Go ahead. Go ahead, Dan. Tama, absolutely. <laughs> Without a doubt, transvestite and transsexual are both terms that have loaded medical and psychiatric histories. I am not I am not putting that into question, but transvestite as it's being used in the film, I think could be argued that it's being used A, at a particular moment in history and B, by the film to denote somebody who is a crossdresser. And I think there is a kind of lost in translation effect that is happening when we watch the movie today and we understand transgender as a gender location, as an identity, as an expression that has Come from the word transvestite and transsexual, absolutely. But at the time, I think this film is using that word specifically to denote crossdresser. And I think, A, that's why Tim Curry works as a casting choice here, because it's supposed to be a cis male character who's dressing in femme clothes. And also, like, great costume design because this this costume has become iconic and also this is why I rail against the Fox Live redo of Frank of uh, Rocky Horror I was going to say Frankenstein of Rocky Horror because Laverne <laughs> Cox is absolutely the wrong casting choice. This is not a trans character and I think this is what I really feel passionately for is that we don't misread this character as transgender this character is not meant to be transgender. And by casting a prolific trans actor and activist in that role, it is sending the wildly wrong message and is, I think, kind of stoking the, the fire of, of really like, you know, seeing this object as an irredeemable one.
1: I mean, I agree with you. I think the definition of the character or the lack thereof is a big problem in this film. And that's why I wish they hadn't put these two words side by side in this song. Because if we could see Frankenfurter as a crossdresser, as a man whose pronouns are he, as he's referred to throughout the film, who dresses, who wears makeup and dresses in these feminine ways, that would, make, that would give us a lot more clarity around, is this a trans character or not? But because those two words are smashed together in this song, we have this confusion about it. And we have Laverne Cox being like, I agree, not well cast as, as Frankenfurter because with Laverne Cox too, we don't get the contrast, right? We don't get like, she's a woman dressed femininely. There's nothing um, shocking about that. And throughout the film, Frankenfurter is supposed to be shocking to people because of the way he looks, because of his readability as gender non normative. Laverne Cox is very gender normative. Um, Um, But again, we have these two words smashed together and that leads to this kind of confusion that would make that casting happen in the first place.
2: Fair. It's maybe a reckless writing decision, but I think it's indicative of 1974, where those words were smashed together. And yes, maybe they weren't smashed together by psychiatry or medical discourse. But I think in the public imagination, they often were conflated. And I think, you know, to Suggest those words carry the same meaning in today's context. I think that's a little bit of a hard sell.
1: I think we're still looking at an object in today's context, though. And that revival starring Laverne Cox or that that law, Fox Live um, shows that right that now today it doesn't know what to make of it and is and is thus doing yeah. these making these weird choices
2: because it's a historical object of course it doesn't work now and it's a bad maybe a bad object, but that doesn't mean we can't take pleasure in it. And who doesn't take pleasure in Tim Curry's performance here and the kind of sexuality he's exuding here?
1: Ooh well, let's come back to the hypersexualization after we meet Rocky.
10: A weakling, weighing ninety-eight pounds will get sand in his face when kicked to the grind. And soon in the gym, with a determined chin, the sweat from his pores as he works for his cause will make him glisten and gleam and with massage and just a little bit of steam <laughs> he'll be pink and quite clean
6: he'll be a
10: Nutritious, high protein And swallow raw eggs Try to build up his shoulders His chest, arms and <laughs> legs Such an effort
6: If he only knew of my plan In just seven days I can make you a man,
10: man. man. He'll do press-ups and chin-ups do the smirch clean and jerk he thinks dynamic tension must be hard work such strenuous living i just don't
6: understand when in just seven days oh baby
10: i can make you a man <laughs> frankenfurter
1: is So, hypersexual. I mean, he flirts with Brad, he flirts with Janet, and he literally makes himself a man to have sex with.
2: Sorry, Tama, are you talking about bisexuality there?
1: I am not talking about bisexuality here. I'm talking about excessive sexuality, something that's been used against bisexuals for a very long time. This idea that just because they're bi, they will flirt with anybody that's actually something that's been used to harm a lot of queer and bi people and that's exactly what he's showing never mind likening this sort of sexual excessive sexuality or sexual deviancy as it's as it's portrayed um, to be likened with his gender non-normativity so and then we see this man if we if we believe that frankenfurter is a crossdresser which i i i buy that for sure he he is also, um, you know, he's very gender non-normative, but then he makes the most gender normative man possible as his lover, this muscly guy who's strong and blonde and all these normative markers of masculinity. So how subversive, how subversive is that Dan?
2: Oh, Tama. All right. So <laughs> <laughs> let me gear up here for a second. I think in this sequence, we have firstly an outing of the homoeroticism implicit in the Frankenstein story or in these like creator creature stories that you see in horror and science fiction. And anybody who wants to deny the homoerotic subtext and undertones of a story like Frankenstein I think they are kind of missing some of it because it's a story about a man making another man for himself and so if that's the premise then there's got to be an element of fantasy in there like why else is this guy making another guy for himself and so sure let's lean into that a little heavier and let's make somebody like Rocky who's essentially there to fulfill the fantasy, the sexual fantasy Dr. Frankenfurter has. And there's even a mention of Charles Atlas in the song. And of course, Charles Atlas and those muscle magazines of the 1950s and 60s were a lot of queer awakenings for individuals. That was How you traded and circulated gay erotica, essentially, is you would trade muscle gym magazines that looked super straight on the outside, but were pleasurable, desirable fantasies. So I think it's a little overplayed, like it's purposely overplayed that this is supposed to be a sex fantasy.
1: I mean, I do I guess that literally making a man does also critique the idea of masculinity being inherent or biological. I'm so we glad do you see, see here I, <laughs> 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 I mean, we do see the perfect masculinity as being something that is as constructed as it possibly could be in this film. So yeah, yeah, I think I'll give you this one.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna give that one stand too.
2: Thanks, sorry for the interruption, but I just really wanted to say that point with a lot of vehement and sincerity. (laughs) I accept. Thanks.
6: It's
0: love meatloaf and it's super dancing dancy dancing dancy Tama were you dancing
1: I was dancing a little I mean oh there was God. at least a head bob I saw but...
0: wave a little bit
2: <laughs> maybe her finger was wa- waving as like a feminist killjoy wag like no no fun
1: <laughs> well not during the song I mean after the song though like do we really need another trans trans spectrum oh, trans feminine murderer. <laughs> do we do we need that because man that is a trope that could really uh die i mean we've got so many examples of that psycho silence of the lamb, sleepaway camp come on do we need another uh- one
2: Tama, Trans Man Invisibility, you missed the film Homicidal, which was a ripoff of Psycho, but with a trans dude. I'm going to use trans dude pretty damn loosely there. But trans mask nonetheless, I'm going to say.
1: <laughs> so, Dan, do we? Yeah, absolutely. Do we need another trans killer?
2: Yeah, I love this trope. Um, Okay. Let's, you know, be real. Of course, this is not a great trope. I know lots of trans individuals who, upon coming out to to friends and family, um, friends and family will react and be like, oh, so you're like Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs. And that immediate conflation of somebody being trans with this image of a homicidal killer, which we are not, (laughs) Um, Of course, of course, that has like irreparable cultural damage. But I think the point of recovering these bad objects is if the world is going to constantly and continually align us with deviancy, with otherness, with being criminals, with being psychologically unwell or mentally ill, then, yeah, I say we lean into that trope and we start kind of taking pleasure from this bad media. Because if this is the media we have that comes to Define our identities, I think that we could take some kind of pleasure in it because this is an image. The trans killer is essentially disrupting normality, disrupting heteronormative unions, disrupting capitalism. Like in these films, the trans killer is not necessarily just killing characters per se, but killing what these characters represent, which is often like to uphold these normal or like normality and its institutions. And I say, if we're aligned with something that takes down the institution of heteronormativity, then uh, sure,
1: I'm for that. But what did Eddie slash Meatloaf ever do to you, Dan? What did he do to you? Well, I'm not the one killing him, Tim. (laughs)
2: Um, I frankly love Meatloaf, to echo Steffi's point. I think he's a great uh, straight camp performer. Like, I mean, I know he's straight, but man, isn't he gay? So, so very gay. Like his operatic uh, music, I think, is definitely pretty queer in its own right. But okay, fine. Yes. Did Eddie deserve it necessarily? No, he's a failed experiment he didn't work out well and then frankenfurter kills him yeah okay that's not really justifiable but we're not talking about watching this film and seeing if it logically makes sense we're talking about cinema as being fantasy and pleasure and if i could have some pleasure in the metaphor of it i don't see anything wrong with that
1: well okay but this is just the beginning of frankenfurter's very bad behavior so let's keep going
8: emotion agitation or disturbance of mind vehement or excited mental state it is also a powerful and irrational master and from what magenta and columbia eagerly viewed on their television monitor there seemed little doubt that janet was indeed its slave
9: tell us about it janet
7: (laughs)
4: I was feeling done in Couldn't win I'd only ever kissed before You mean she uh-huh. I thought there's no use getting Into heavy petting It only leads to trouble And seat wetting now all I want to know is how to go I've tasted blood and I want more More more, more. I'll put up no resistance I want to stay the distance I've got an itch to scratch I need a sip.
1: lot that we can debate and contextualize about this movie, Dan. But what has happened in the film just prior to this is not one of those things. I mean, really, Frankenfurter is raping Janet and Brad by disguising himself as the other person and seducing them. And I just don't think there's any way that we can redeem this part of the film. It is just base level sexual assault, what he's doing. And we hear Janet say she was saving herself till marriage and all of this. And though it portrays this whole whole series of events as eventually consensual, and that this is actually helping Janet to become sexually liberated, this is not excusable. And it's also something that really comes out of this moment in time, uh, when the sexual revolution is happening, and when there is this idea that to be sexually liberated is better, right? And that and that often came at the at a cost for women, and had these really really negative um, sides to it. And so while it's portrayed as playful, it's really really problematic. This part.
2: Yeah, this is a monstrosity or an element of monstrosity. I can't. I can't back or defend. This is um, you used uh, seduced, and m- maybe we could even use coerced here, right? Like this is um, this is a bad trans monster that in this moment, yeah, definitely. I can't make an argument it's not about
0: redeemable.
1: No, no
2: this no, is okay. not redeemable.
0: Damn, not <laughs> redeemable. We got
1: this one. Yeah. Yep. All, All right. right. Let's keep going. Cool.
7: Please. Janet!
6: Dr. Scott! Janet! Bad! Rucker! Janet! Dr. Scott! Janet! Bad! Rucker! Janet! Dr. Scott! Janet! Bad! Rucker!
10: Listen, I made you.
0: Tama! Steffy! Dan! Steffi, Tama! Steffy! Dan! Steffi, Dan! Tama! <laughs>
2: Okay, well, we gave it our best try, everyone. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) It was a lot.
6: I tell you once I'll tell you twice You better wise up Janet oh. Weiss Your apple pie don't taste too nice oh. You better wise up Janet Weiss! Oh. the seed. It should be all you need. You're essential as a pencil, wound up like an E. Your first string. When we made it, did you hear a bell ring? You got a block? Well, take my advice. You better wise up, Just one. The transducer will seduce you. My feet. I can't
7: move my feet.
8: My heels. I got I can't move my wheels. It's as if we're glued to the spot. You are so quick with
6: fear, you tiny fools. <laughs> it's something y'all get used to. A mental mind can be nice.
8: You won't find Earth people quite the easy mark you imagine. This sonic transducer, it is, I suppose, some kind of audio-vibratory-physiomolecular transport device? You mean? Yes, Brad. It's something we ourselves have been working on for quite some time. But it seems our friend here has found a means of perfecting it. A device which is capable of breaking down solid matter and then projecting it through space, and who knows, perhaps even time itself.
4: You mean he's gonna send us to another planet?
6: Planet Schmidt, Janet, you better wise up, Janet Wise. You better wise up, build your thighs up. You better wise up, and then she cried out.
1: This song is so catchy until you listen to the words where Frankfurter is just making fun of, of Janet's sexuality and how good she is in bed or how she's a virgin, which is just really abusive and gross. And he continues on just chasing her around and then freezing her to the floor. So, ugh, yuck. Uh,
2: yeah. I mean, can't, again, argue against this. This is kind of a bad point of the film for a number of reasons. And I think another reason that we could probably both agree on is the fact that this is yet again perpetuating a stereotype of trans people or uh, gender diverse or gender quote-unquote deviant uh, individuals uh, being seen as predators and particularly as sexual predators. That's the rhetoric often used for, again, gender-neutral bathrooms or having trans people in uh, gender-segregated bathrooms. So yeah, this is isn't necessarily helping the image at all. No, it's really not. Okay. Agree to agree. Great <laughs> job, you two. Uh, all right, Tamma, let's go oh. on to the next one. <laughs>
10: Happened to fay Ray, that delicate satin draped frame as it clung to her thigh. How I started to cry Cause I wanted to be dressed just the same. Give yourself over to absolute pleasure. Swim the warm waters of sins of the flesh. Be nightmares beyond any measure. And sensual daydreams to treasure forever.
6: Can't you just see?
8: Be strong and try to hang on, or else my mind may well
6: snap me,
8: and my life will be lived.
6: Thing. I'm a bee with the deadly sin. You got a head and your mind goes ping. Your heart will pump and your blood will sing. So let the party and the sounds rock on. We're gonna shake until our life has gone. Rose to my word you be save from my trouble and pain. You know? We're well, wild and an untank thing. We'll be with the deadly thing You got a head and your mind goes ping. Your up and your blood will sing So like the party and the sound rock on We're gonna shame until the love has gone Roast in my world, you'll be saved from the trouble and pain We're wild and in a same thing We'll be with a dead sing You get a hit and your mind goes ping Your heart will pump and your blood will sing So let the body and the sounds walk on We're gonna shake it till the life has gone, gone, gone Rose to my world, keep me safe from my trouble and pain
10: Day I went away. Goodbye was all I had to say. No, no, no. I want to come again and stay. Oh my no, no. smile, and that will mean I'm there the same
6: Like I'm outside in the rain Free to try and find a game Cards for sorrow Cards for pain
5: presumptuous of you you see when i said we were to return to transylvania i referred only to magenta and myself i'm sorry however if you found my words misleading but you see you were to remain here in spirit anyway heavens that's a laser yes dr scott A laser capable of emitting a beam of pure antimatter. You mean, you're going to kill him? What's his crime? You saw what became of Eddie. Society must be protected. Exactly, Dr. Scott. And now, Frankenfurter, your time has come. Say goodbye to all of this. And hello to Oblivion.
2: All right, so obviously this is this is where the evil aliens kind of out their master plan which is that riffraff and magenta came to earth with frankenfurter and the goal was kind of essentially to see if earth would be open to queer expressions let's say or these quote-unquote alien expressions of gender and sexuality And clearly the quote-unquote experiment didn't really work well. And of course, uh, we even have Dr. Scott saying society must be protected. So Dr. Frankenfurter essentially has to die or be punished even for conducting this quote-unquote experiment. And I think this kind of proves the point I was... Hammering home throughout this film is that this is a film that knows what it's doing in the sense that it's about uh, monsters or aliens trying to uh, undermine or subvert what society expects, what society has established as proper and normal. And In some ways, this becomes almost like a melodrama, like this is the equivalent of, uh, you know, the very melodramatic monster dies sequence in a lot of horror movies, but this is the end of of queerness, at least in the film, right? Like this is, it cannot go on because quote unquote society has to be
1: protected. Uh,
2: I don't know, Tama, I think this kind of outs the whole, the whole aim
1: of the film then it doesn't happen at the end. He is, Frankenfurter is punished at the end and queerness experiment has failed. So if we start the film as really wanting to be at that party um, during the time warp, we end with this um, this character who has turned from fun or and maybe sexy to a murderer who and abuser who has ultimately failed in every way. He's no longer, you know, as audience members, we're no longer like really into him. And also the aliens are killing him because he's failed at queering society. So what does that leave us with as a final message then?
2: Okay, fair. And yes, there's a pretty long track record or trope of queers and trans characters dying in film and television. I'll give you that one, Tama. But the kind of good cinema scholar in me wants to say are endings really everything? Because endings are usually about people who defy society and culture Quote unquote being punished in a lot of melodramas where women are the lead, the same thing happens. And this is a pretty standard trope that we've gotten used to. But like many cinema scholars suggest, you have the whole rest of the movie to take pleasure in, to delight in. And I don't think the ending has to be the be all end all of this narrative, because of course, this narrative doesn't just end here. It's still the longest running film ever to have a theatrical run. So, I mean, are we really exhausted with it by the end of this film?
1: I mean, I agree with you that the ending isn't everything, but do we have enough good stuff in the rest of the film to be able to dismiss the ending? And I just don't know if I think that we do.
2: I mean, you definitely have the moments I agree with you that are bad, bad, bad moments, but we had a really good time doing the time warp earlier and traveling to Frankenstein's place. So, I don't know, I'm not willing to let it go.
1: I don't know, Dan. I don't know if I'm convinced either. Let's let's wrap this up. All right. <laughs> <laughs>
8: insects called the human race.
2: Okay, Tama, I think speaking to our previous little point about endings, this is a pretty profound or at least telling ending. The criminologist says these individuals are lost in time and space and meaning. And I think that's that's not necessarily a throwaway line, right? That Brad and Janet and, sure, Dr. Scott have kind of lost meaning in the world because the values or institutions or even logics that they believed in and were performing and reiterating and taking a part in no longer makes sense. And how can they after they have an encounter like that? So I think there's a little hope for us after all in this ending, but
1: endings aren't everything. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, interesting, Dan. I mean, I've got to ac- agree. You got a really vague ending that gives us some hints about what, Perhaps may come of Brad and Janet in the aftertime. For sure, for sure. I hope they're out there having lots of consensual queer sex with each other, just having a great time. I do have that hope for them.
2: Certainly, don't we all? And even if they're not having awesome queer sex, obviously consensual sex, but their horizons have been expanded. And I think this film, in fairness, Tama, 1974 may have pushed a few horizons for folks who maybe weren't ready or didn't have access to seeing those horizons be broken in the first place.
1: I think you're right. I think for probably many people, That was the case. I just wonder about the opposite side too and how many horizons it pushed backwards for other people who didn't want to be linked with murder, criminality, um, psychiatry and mental illness and all of these other things that we see in this film.
0: That's an excellent point to end us off, Tama. I want to say thank you to the two of you for such a great, fun debate. And uh, just to wrap up in terms of the rules, I'm gonna leave it up to you to decide who won this version of Feminist Barrow Brawls. Do
2: you mean us, like the participants?
0: The participants, not oh, you. I mean oh, like the you people in the, the gra- listeners, the listeners in the greater <laughs> listening cloud of the radio. So what I'll suggest that you do is uh, you can either tweet or send a message to CFRC or at me, uh, at Steffi McKnight, at anything, and let us know. Do you, are you on Team Tama or are you on Team Dan? And uh, I hope you have a spooky queer Halloween.
2: Well, thanks for wrapping us up, Steffi. I will say you can't tweet me because old time grandpa trans Dan uh, he ain't on social media. <laughs> I
0: will filter out everybody's ads just at the Steffi tonight and tell me the referee will decide who wins in the end.
2: Well, good job, pal. This was a really fun time. Thanks, Dama. <laughs> yes.
1: Thanks, Dan.
0: Steffi, Dan. Tama, Tama, Steffi.
3: I would like, if I may, Australia.
5: It's a sound, down down sound. Down down. Down. Time is fleeting. 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 Madness, madness, madness takes its toll. toll. But listen closely. Close. Not for very much longer. I've, i heat <laughs> control.
7: To jump to the left, and then a step to the right. With your hands on your hips. You ready?
6: We will be discussing the impacts that music has on stimulating creative thought and existential queries. In a few moments, you will hear examples of industrial, electronic, and the music that some would find dark and weird. If you experience thoughts of a higher cognitive process, do not be alarmed. It is your mental processes at work. It is the anatomy lesson. Every Saturday night at 11 p.m., your host, Cameron Phillips, delves deep into the dark blue beard of rhythmic and harmonic organization in the basement of Lower Carousel's Hall. Tune in for the anatomy lesson on CFRC 101.9 FM.
3: Though nothing will keep us together We can be damned
7: forever and ever
10: How we can be heroes
3: be
1: Thank you for tuning in to CFRC
2: 101.9 FM's special broadcast of Rocky Horror Picture Critique with your hosts, Tama DeSeggio-Lang, Dan Venna, and Steffi McKnight. We sure hope to have them back in the studio soon. And stick around for some pretty epic programming coming up on the final episode ever of Anatomy Lesson coming up next. Thank you, Cameron, from all of us at CFRC 101.9 FM for your many, many, many years of work on and off our airwaves, and we wish you the very best on your next adventures.